morning, Elmwood Park Bible Church. I was sharing with someone earlier this morning when uh, when he mentioned that uh, today's not my last Sunday as we originally anticipated a week ago, but will be actually next Sunday. I told him it's either uh, overtime or the penalty box. I'll I'll let you guys be the judge of of, uh, of whichever it is. I'll say for me, it's a it's a blessing. You guys have been uh, so good uh, to me and for me and to Cindy and and for Cindy. It's been a, a blessing to uh, spend this season with you. I am uh, I am humbled and uh, and honored to have had the opportunity to uh, to serve you in um, in what I think has been a very small way, but it's uh, it's been a blessing to me, and you guys are a blessing, and uh, you'll be a blessing to Pastor Sean and Lydia. You already have been. Uh, Dave told me um, that there were some of you gone over and cleaned up their, their new home so that they're ready to move into it when they get here this week, and, uh, and I'll just tell you, having moved more than Cindy and I ever really wanted to, uh, that is a, a huge blessing that may seem small, but is uh, so significant, so thank you for, for loving them as well, even before they get here. Um, we're going to look this morning at Joshua uh, 24. At the end of Joshua next week, by the way, we'll uh, look at a, uh, a text from uh, Philippians 2, one of my favorite uh, passages in all of Scripture, uh, as we look at what it means to, to live life on mission. Uh, but as we conclude our journey through Joshua this week, I've entitled the message RSVP. Now, you've uh, likely seen that on uh, an invitation, whether it be uh, handwritten or uh, something that comes through the, the mail as we used to get them, or if it's something that comes into your uh, inbox through Evite or some other, uh, some other form, there's typically this, uh, this uh, desire for an RSVP. And when um, I can remember watching a Gilligan's episode and, uh, and, and Gilligan uh, referring to it as RSVP. And... <laughs> And really, that's what I did, too, when I was a kid, because I'm like, it's, English has vowels. It's like, this ain't even a word. Well, it took me a little while. Finally got out of the west side of Charlotte and, um, and, and learned that it's an abbreviation for a French phrase. Now, you likely learned that long before I did. And I am going to venture out here and try some French on you. Respondez, s'il vous plaît. Yeah? Any French speakers here? Maybe I could order coffee in, in uh, Quebec, I don't know. But, uh, but as you likely know, that's actually a, a plea. The phrase literally means answer please. Uh, or in English we might say uh, reply please. It's a request for a response to the invitation. This morning in, in Joshua 24, we see Joshua lay out a plea for response to an invitation. Uh, we see him laying out before the people. This is the, the last occasion that he's going to have to address them as a whole uh, as these um, tribes scatter to the various places that they have uh, been granted and given uh, in the promised land. And uh, Joshua certainly knows that there is some danger in the people being scattered. And so he, he uh, recalls some of their history, and as a result, he also calls for them to respond in some way. It's at that call for response that we, uh, I want us to call our attention to this morning and to see uh, how 
it not only applies to the church as a whole, but also to us individually. And I want us to see uh, the four ways in which Joshua calls upon the people, and I would call upon you to respond to God's goodness. Notice with me first the, the call to respond to God's goodness with sincerity in verse 14. Now, therefore, that is in light of what he's already laid out. And by the way, I would encourage you maybe this afternoon, if you haven't done so already, to go back and, and read some of this, some of it that may be um, enlightening to you. I was telling Cindy this week, I, I had honestly forgotten, because uh, I just hadn't had it in my head, um, about the reality of their ancestors prior to Abraham. We know, of course, that God chose Abraham. We know, of course, that that has an, an impact not only on this generation, but the previous generations, and even to this day. One of the reasons that we have, the, have had the opportunity to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ is because God chose Abraham, and he said, through you I'll bless all the peoples of the world. But Joshua reminds them of some of the history that in the generations prior to Abraham, their ancestors were idol worshipers. They were engaged in practices and rituals of false religions just like the people who they have displaced and some who still inhabit this land that they are yet to displace. And he reminds them that despite that was the case, that the, the previous generations, their ancestors... The world in which Abraham himself had been raised and trained and thought was a world and a people that worshipped false religions and idols. And Joshua says that God chose Abraham. And he God, God chose Abraham because of his own character, not because of who Abraham is, but because of who God himself is. And that he has demonstrated this goodness to them, and he calls upon them again now, therefore, in light of that truth, in verse 14, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Again, in the first 13 verses, we find Him recounting all of that. But He said it was the one true God, Yahweh, who demonstrated His character as gracious by choosing Abraham and the descendants of Abraham to reveal himself to the whole of humanity. Don't let that truth be lost on you, my friends. God began there with Abraham to reveal his character to the whole of humanity. And that is a mission that he is still at work at fulfilling. It is the mission that he's called us to be a part of. He's revealing himself to the whole of humanity. It was the one true God who demonstrated his character as gracious by blessing Abraham with Isaac and then the many descendants that would follow in the generations after up until their current generation. It was the one true God who responded to their cries, to the previous generation's cries in captivity and released them from Egypt. And in response to all of that reality, he says, therefore, in light of these truths... Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. God has been good to you, He says, so respond to His goodness with sincerity. The Hebrew word translated as sincerity in the text here 
is translated earlier in the Old Testament law to describe the type of animals that were to be brought for sacrifice. Rendered in most of our English translations as without blemish. So Joshua says to the people, respond to the goodness of God in the same way the condition of your heart, your passion, your desire, the totality of your life without blemish, in the same blameless fashion that you bring animals for sacrifice. Respond to His goodness without blemish. So the call to respond to God's goodness that He has shown us is to respond with the sincerity of heart in our service to Him, in our love for Him, and even in our fear of Him. So how does that play out in our lives as New Testament believers? Well, I believe our response to God's goodness to us, and in case it's lost on you, that's been most made most clear at the cross. His choosing of us, His dying in our place, His bearing our sin and giving us His righteousness of which we sang earlier. He was condemned, forsaken. We are accepted. That goodness, we are called upon to respond in this same way with sincerity of heart. And yet I can tell you in 23 years of ministry, I've heard people say, well, I'm saved, but I'm just not a church kind of person. So if I don't want to go to church, it's okay. I'm saved, but I just can't control my anger. It's just who I am. I've actually heard professing believers say that. I'm saved, but I just don't have the time to devote to studying God's Word so that I may be adequately prepared to teach a small group. I'm saved, but I just have so many things to do that I can't take time to study God's Word during the week or take time to spend with Him in prayer. I understand that God has gifted me in certain ways for His glory, but seeing that gifting producing more abundant fruit would require more time, effort, energy, self-discipline, and discomfort than I'm willing to endure. In essence, I'm saved. I've experienced God's goodness in redemption, but I am going to live life to suit myself. I am going to live life on my terms. And as I've heard some people say, I think God is loving enough that he will understand. Friends, such an attitude is blatant disobedience and rebellion against God. It is the very thing of which Joshua called them to forsake and rather to respond to God's goodness with sincerity. Does it mean that we're perfect? Do we always get it right? Of course not. If you think that, you haven't had enough honest believers around you. But with sincerity of heart means that we respond to God's goodness with the desire to honor Him and to recognize that our life is not about ourselves but really about Him. That our existence is not to somehow please ourselves but to reflect His glory. That our lives are not about accomplishing our mission, but surrendering ourselves to His authority 
to accomplish his mission. Why? Not because of the guilt that we so often heap on others. Not because we're just conditioned to do what we're supposed to do. But because of an inward motivation that is transformed and made new by a new life. The regeneration in us. That means His mission is our mission. That His desire is our desire. That His grief over injustice is our grief. Worshiping Him and responding to Him with sincerity of heart is about a purity of heart. My dear friends, as we have seen the goodness of God, and I believe that you understand that, this church has witnessed the, the goodness of God. As faith led us in prayer just moments ago, affirming that truth. Not sure a year ago what the future may hold. And frankly, not even being completely certain about the fu- what the future may hold today. But responding to His goodness, recognizing that in good times and bad, in the abundant blessing and in the challenges that you've faced, God has demonstrated His goodness to you. And we respond to that goodness with sincerity of heart. Well, notice not only is there a call for response with sincerity, but we're also called upon to respond to God's goodness with fidelity. Verse 19, But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. In verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Now, if you're familiar with Old Testament history, you know there's going to come a day when, when many of the children of Israel begin to forsake their commitment. Generations later, a nation is divided. Some intermarry uh, with idol worshipers and begin to adopt that idol worshiping practice. They become guilty of what Joshua had warned this current generation about. And Joshua lays out in stark, even harsh language the holiness of God. He will not permit his people to persist in sin. He is loving and he is merciful. He is also holy and he is righteous. And Joshua warns the people of Israel of the need to respond to God's goodness with fidelity. That is, 
to be true to him, to be faithful to him. And the joy is that verse 31 confirms that as long as Joshua and the elders who were there and served in leadership around him over the various tribes, as long as they lived, and notice that they are specifically identified as the ones who had known all the deeds of the Lord. That is, they had experienced firsthand God's goodness. And they responded with fidelity. Those of you who have children, and even if you don't have biological children, if you're in a role of spiritual responsibility, friends, never let it be lost on you the need to keep before the next generation and generations the goodness of God. You know, by God's grace, there have been times in my life when the Lord calls my mind back to that evening at Westside Baptist Church when I was eight years old. They'd grown up in church. I was born on a Saturday morning. My mom and daddy took me to church eight days later. Unless I missed the opportunity, I had a drug problem. My mom and daddy drug me to church on Sunday morning, drug me to church on Sunday night, drug me to church on Wednesday night. In spite of all that, it wasn't, you know, the first eight years of my life, I lived in that environment. But it wasn't until I was eight years old that I realized that the death and resurrection of Jesus were more than historical realities. They happened. Those were events that occurred at a time and place in history. They were realities. But it was at eight years old that I understood that Jesus' death was in my place. That he paid for my sin. And I beg of the Lord never to let me forget that. Why? Because when we know, when we have seen, when we have experienced the goodness of God, I believe we are less tempted to turn our backs on him. As long as that generation lived, they had seen and experienced the goodness of God. They walked around the walls of Jericho and watched them fall. Prior to that, they had walked across the Jordan and picked up those stones and created a monument to remember that moment. They had fought the battles that seemed overwhelming and seen the Lord deliver them. And my dear friends, as we look back upon our faith journey. Not to get so caught up in the moment and whatever we are, who people think we are, but recognizing the reality that apart from Christ we are hopeless, helpless, doomed, and merely walking in death. If we are mindful of the truth that anything we are is by His grace and His mercy, we find the thought of infidelity unthinkable. When I counsel with young couples intent on marriage, I always tell them they need to have a clear understanding of the biblical purpose of marriage and the value of their own commitment in marriage. I can't remember 
or why or when, but I think I've shared this from this pulpit before. You know, I've asked couples when they ask me to officiate their wedding, tell them I'll pencil in the date, but we, we're going to have a conversation before I make a commitment. Why do you want to get married? I love him so much. I love how he makes me feel. And I've told countless couples, some who decided they'd get somebody else to officiate their wedding. (laughs) By the way, a consequence that I actually appreciate. As awful as that may sound. But I tell them time and again that there's going to come a day when the warm fuzzies are gone. There's going to come a day when he is not as wonderful and caring as he seems today. Cindy can affirm that for you. There's going to come a day when she will not be as radiant and beautiful as she appears today. I'm still waiting for that day for Cindy. Come on, friends, I may be dumb, but I ain't stupid. (laughs) There's going to come that day. And when the warm fuzzies are gone, the sense of excitement that we once felt when we were in their presence, when we heard their voice, or for contemporary folks, when you hear that notification from the text... There's going to come a day when that sense of excitement is either gone or it produces a different sense of excitement. And what will keep a couple married in those times is their understanding of the purpose of that marriage and the value they place on their own commitment. This is what Joshua was saying to the people. Remember. Remember, recognize the consequences if you forsake him. But again, praise God, the record that we are given is that that generation remained faithful. Even when the redemption from Egypt and the victories in the promised land were many decades behind them, this generation of God's people served him with fidelity. You know, it may be many years since that awesome sense of relief from the burden of your own sin. It's been decades for me, 45 years. But that sense of relief, the sense of the guilt of sin being lifted, the tears of joy that swept over us may have long dried. But my dear friends, let us not forget the reality that Jesus died in our place. He took our death. He gave us his righteousness. And my dear friends, even in the challenging times when others disappoint us, when things in the local church we're a part of aren't going just like we want it to, When our expectations don't seem to be met. 
when there's clamor and clatter that's frankly a distraction from the mission? Let us recall God's goodness. Let us respond to that with fidelity. And let us recognize the temptations will always abound. Temptations to offer partial obedience in the place of complete surrender. Temptation to focus on inward satisfaction rather than outward mission. Temptation to preserve and protect an institution rather than fulfill the Great Commission. But when those temptations come, let us recognize them for what they are. And let us be true to the one who has died in our place, claimed us for his own, and given us not only eternal life but purpose in life. Let us remain sober-minded, mission-focused, and seek God's glory as we remain faithful to him. Respond to God's goodness with fidelity. Notice also Joshua calls upon the people to respond to God's goodness publicly. Verse 22. Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. He said, Then put away the foreign gods that are among you. And incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. The people made a public declaration of their intent to serve the Lord. And here is the value, my friends. The public declaration brought to them a mutual accountability. We find in Mark 8 where it tells us specifically that it was amid a great crowd that Jesus issued the call for them to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow them. He made that call publicly for them. In Mark 8, 34, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It was a public invitation for them to declare their commitment to Christ. So oftentimes I have witnessed the Lord dealing with people So often I've seen them resist, and though not exclusively, many times it has been clearly stated to me that they are concerned about the implications of what it would mean for their life. They understood the certain accountability that it would bring. Part of the reason I love baptisms 
ain't just because I was raised Baptist and it's what we do. I love baptisms. Because as I got to share with people in Arizona who didn't really understand the concept of believer's baptism, what I was able to say to them on the authority of God's word is that this is the public declaration that you make to your family and to all the world that I have trusted Jesus, I am casting my lot with him, I am turning back from all that is behind me, I am following after him, I will go with him where he calls, I will do what he calls me to do, I am his. It's a public declaration. And again, brings that public accountability to say, I am the Lord's. I think people know that. And frankly, it's one of the reasons the scripture tells us that local church is important to us. Because of that accountability. We're not isolated in our faith. But we recognize that because we have brothers and sisters around us who love Jesus and love us, that they will call us to walk with Him. When we begin to get wayward, they are there to call us back. When we find ourselves discouraged, they are there to cheer us on. When we find ourselves overwhelmed, they are there to bear the burden with us. It's why following after God has always happened in community. It is a call that he makes for them to respond publicly. My dear friends, as the life and mission of Emily Park Bible Church goes on, just know that there are times when corporately you will be called upon to respond to God's goodness publicly. It may be that you're here this morning. You've, you've been hanging around this family, but never cast your lot with this family. Maybe that God would call you to declare your response to His goodness publicly, to say, I want to be a part of this family. I believe God's called me to be a part of this family. I want to make myself accountable. I want the benefit of a, a faith family around me to encourage me when I am down and to challenge me when I am wrong. I recognize the need for the faith family around me to grow me in Christ's likeness and to keep me on task lest I go wayward. The call is to respond to God's goodness publicly. The final reality I want us to see is the call to respond to God's goodness with urgency. Verse 15, these are very familiar words to most of us who grew up in church. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, isn't that an interesting phrase? I, I confess to you, I've read this countless times. And as, as Faith read it this morning, I thought, man, have I missed that phrase? If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day, not tomorrow, not next week, not a generation later, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, that is the, the false idols, the false religions, 
For the gods are the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then those words that are familiar to us. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yahweh, the one true God. He says, we will choose you this day who you will. By the way, I, I, I find it fascinating too. I think I've shared this with you perhaps in, in um, previous messages. But one of, one of several characteristics of false religion is the pressure that they put on adherents to keep them. To keep them from, from responding to the gospel, for instance. But here is, notice the open hand. Joshua says, God has been so good to us, to the previous generation, to our ancestors. We have seen his goodness. And even despite of that, he doesn't say you ought to, you should, or you're going to get in trouble. He says, choose you this day. By the way, he does say there's consequences, as we saw earlier. But he's not arm twisting. He says, choose this day. Know the consequences, know what's in store, but you choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Last week in chapter 23, we saw Joshua understands that he is nearing death. And in just moments, verse 28, as you read through the remainder of chapter 24, you'll see that he dismisses the people to go to their separate lands. Again, he understands the clear temptation of false gods, the lures and the traps of various sorts that lie ahead of them. So he calls upon them to make a decision, to decide with finality who they would serve and to do it that day. Their departure and his pending death make this an urgent call. Paul repeats the cry of the prophet Isaiah. In 1 Corinthians 15, we, we read him quoting Isaiah in the Messianic prophecy. For he says, in a favorable, favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The very hearing of the call to respond to God's good news brings a sense of urgency. It's not something we can put off, figure out, but there's urgency. Tim Wilson, who pastored a church in Colorado and was an Army veteran, told the story of his training at Fort Benning for uh, the Army Airborne Corps. Just before they went up on the plane for their first jump, Wilson tells of the instructor's last words about what to do in the event of a parachute malfunction. If your main parachute should fail to deploy, he says, don't panic. Pull the handle of your auxiliary parachute. Should your auxiliary parachute fail to fill with air, don't panic. 
pull it in toward your body, and then vigorously throw it out away from yourself. Should your auxiliary chute again fail to deploy, don't panic. Vigorously repeat this process. And then as Wilson tells the story, this instructor paused dramatically, looking intently into each man's eyes. And then with a slightly mischievous grin, he slowly stated, Should this also fail? Don't panic. You'll have the rest of your life to get your parachute to deploy. And, of course, the rest of their life. Yeah, some of you just got that. Some of you will get it on the way home. But praise God, you'll get it. Of course, the rest of their life wouldn't be very long. Friends, I don't know what all lies ahead. But I am confident of this. New leadership that you have called will bring new challenges. He'll bring new opportunities for many of you to grow personally. I believe Pastor Sean will bring to this church new opportunities to grow in fruitfulness. And friends, the time to pray about those opportunities is now. Be prepared to put your yes on the table. I was in a, a corporate training event this past week and had the opportunity to meet some men, some of them believers who routinely deal with clients that talk in more zeros than I would even know how to write. And one of them said that he had learned in his career in sales of financial services that a delay was really a no. That let me think about it, let me check with somebody else, whatever, was really a no. And as I heard that, I thought, how many times have I in ministry heard people say, let me pray about it? And to be sure, my dear friends, I think there are good, godly, honest, sincere people who are praying for clarity and direction. I don't want to dismiss that out of hand. But I will tell you, I've known countless people who say I'm going to pray about it simply as a matter of delay. So in the next week, two weeks, and who knows how long it will be before some of the vision and mission really become, or how the mission is fulfilled becomes clear. Invest this time to pray now. And to put your yes on the table. And to say, Lord, I want to be a part of what you are going to do in and through this church. I believe that the work of the gospel is still yet to be done in Elmwood Park and in the surrounding communities. I believe that somehow, even though I don't quite frankly see it in the moment, that you have gifted me and enabled me to be a part of that mission. And I want to say yes to you now, so when that picture becomes clear, I'll be ready to declare my trust in and commitment to you.
And maybe you're here this morning and, again, maybe you've just been hanging around God's people. Maybe you're, you're here because some family member puts pressure on you to be here. My dear friends, let me also say today to respond to God's goodness is now. To respond with urgency. To recognize that we don't have the promise of a next breath. I can't tell you how many funerals I've officiated where the family was in shock that this had happened. That just three, four, five, seven days earlier, they had absolutely no clue that they would be gathered around the body of their loved one. I don't want to be emotionally manipulative, but I don't want to be derelict in my duty either. Let us recognize that the day to respond to God's goodness in whatever form that response may take, to respond in faith, to serve Him in a different way, to pursue personal growth so that we may be more fruitful, or perhaps to respond to His goodness and faith for the very first time, that day is today. Not tomorrow. Not another day. Today. As we prepare to close, I want to call your attention to the bottom line. These are the things I want you to take with you. God's goodness is undeniable. We, friends, even if you're not a believer, the fact that we live in this country and we're free to gather here without any fear of retribution or being jailed or somehow harmed is an example of God's goodness. The abundance of our nation, an example of God's goodness. Our response is our responsibility. And then finally, the time to go all in is now. And so I simply ask you as you bow your head, will you respond to God's goodness with sincerity? Will you respond with fidelity? Will you respond publicly? Will you respond urgently?